So, Malachi chapter 4. Today we're coming not only to the end of Malachi, but to the end of the Old Testament. These are the last words right here. The last words that God spoke through the prophet Malachi, but also the very last words that God would speak through any prophet for over 400 years. For four centuries, this right here that we're studying today was the final word that they had heard from the Lord. So it was one that they would have clung to, that they would have regularly looked back toward and longed for the day where the Lord would speak again. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to read together starting at Malachi chapter 4, and we're just going to begin at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, gracious, merciful, and kind God. And yet here we are talking about judgment. So, Lord, I pray that today you would make it make sense for us. You would give us clarity to understand, to see why, to see what is coming, to see what you are planning to do. Father, this is your word, and even this word right here is to be used by you so that we may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Even this word right here is given us so that we can know how to live, how to act, how to function, how this world is and how this world will be. So, Father, I pray that you would move among us. I do thank you for baptism. I thank you that it is an act of worship that we do that points to Jesus and what he has done for sinners. So, Lord, may it be true in this word as well that through this preaching, through this word, you would point us to Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah that we needed and that you sent. We ask these things in his name and by his blood. Amen. Now, if you haven't been with us since from the beginning of Malachi, you may wonder what's going on. Here you are coming in at the end of a story. And so let me just try to give you a little catch-up work here. We'll give you Cliff's notes if we can. In this book, God comes to his people, to Israel, his chosen nation, through the prophet Malachi because he is calling his people back to himself. He comes to them in his love and he speaks to them because what has happened is this. They've forgotten who he is. 
They've forgotten that he is a great king, that he's worthy of worship and adoration and trust and obedience. And as they've forgotten who God is, their lives have kind of just been wrecked slowly. They've been coming apart at the seams. Because they've forgotten, their worship has grown stale. They still come. They still gather with each other, and yet their heart's just not in it. They may give, they may sing, they may listen, but what they don't do is care. It doesn't matter to them. They've come to the place where they say, look, if you're a child of God or not, it doesn't really matter. There is no benefit to it. They even say this, the arrogant, those people that stand against God, they are blessed. They have all that they need. They prosper. You can test God. You can rebel against God and nothing's going to happen. There is no issue with it whatsoever. To be or not to be a child of God, who cares? And yet we come to the end of this book and what we saw last week was there's a glimmer of hope. Because as God is coming and God is speaking through the prophet, finally we get a group of people in Israel that begin to listen. They hear the word of the Lord and they respond to him in faith. And it's that group right there that God points his finger down on and says, those people right there, they are mine. Those people there who responded to my word, they are mine. The people who heard my word and believed it, they are mine. What we see, and we see this throughout the scripture, that the people of God are not marked simply by coming to church or by giving or by doing. The people of God for all time have been marked by faith. The people who hear the word of God and believe it who respond to him in faith and in trust and in obedience. This is true throughout the scriptures. And yet his people had forgotten. And so God reminds them, and he says, the ones who trust in me, those are the ones that will be spared. Don't buy the lie that there is no distinction between people of God and not people of God. Don't buy the lie that we are all the same, that it doesn't matter what you believe or how you live. Don't believe that because when all is said and done, the wicked will not escape. That's the end of chapter 3 and this is what brings us to chapter 4. Why will the wicked not escape? Because a day is coming. A specific day is coming, and on that day, the Lord will come back. On that day, the Lord will return, and when he returns, he is going to bring with him perfect justice. Ah. The day that is coming is the day that when the Lord comes, every wrong will be made right where he will bring what was in darkness out into the light, where, as Amos said, justice is going to roll down like waters, where righteousness will flow like an ever-flowing stream. How do you respond to that? 
If you're like me, you look around this world at what's happening in this nation, at what people are celebrating, and, and your response may be, God, just come. Come back. Come back. It looks like the wicked are prospering. Just come back. What we need is justice. What we need is wickedness punished. We need that. We need wrongs made right. We need to know that one day the arrogant will not prosper. And you need to know that today. Evildoers will not prosper. Because why? One day the Lord is coming back. And on that day the distinction will be clear. That there will be people who belong to God and there will be people who don't. No longer will we be able to ask the question of whether or not it matters if we follow the Lord. That will be nonsense because the wicked will not escape, the arrogant will not prosper, and it will be clear to you and to me. Now, you, we read it just a moment ago. Notice how this day is marked. What is it you're supposed to look for on this day that is coming? We talk about the day often as the sun rising and the sun setting, don't we? The sun comes up and it's time to start our day unless you're a farmer or you work for Four County. So you guys that work in both of those fields and many more, just, hey, thank you all. I like electricity. It's great. Air condition, awesome. Thank you guys for doing what you do. But for most of us, that's the way we mark the day. The sun rises and the sun sets. And that's how it's described here. Look with me at verse 1. Behold, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, look at it, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Now, do you catch what God is saying through Malachi right here? On the day of the Lord, the sun of righteousness is going to rise. And for some... That son of righteousness is going to set them ablaze and destroy them. For others, that son of righteousness will rise and it's going to bring healing. To some, it will leave them neither root nor branch. It will be total destruction. They will not bounce back from this. For others, the sun will cause them to leap like calves out of the stall to enjoy the warmth that it brings. And he even goes a little further to say that as, as you're leaping like calves from the stall, you're going to be trampling down the ashes of those who were destroyed. Vivid enough for you? You get a good image of what he's saying here. Some of us grew up in churches that we would refer to as, as hellfire and it's a very common term, isn't it? Enough to where we know it. Many of us grew in up in Baptist churches just like that. It was a common theme, this hellfire and brimstone. And it may have been so common that you bucked against it completely. That you decided to leave that and kind of go the complete other way to where you kind of started agreeing with what culture says about hell. A loving God would never send anyone to hell... Hell was just something they used to talk about to keep people and kids in check. 
Science has disproved that. Hell is for simpletons. Or this, the God of the Old Testament was angry and vengeful, but the God of the New is merciful, gracious, and kind. You ever heard that before? Is that what's happening here? Some of us have gone the route of simply being embarrassed by this concept. We're embarrassed by the thought of hell and we want to distance ourselves from it. But understand something. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, guess what we're going to do? Just shut our mouth. What it says, we are to believe as the children of God. And hell is a concept, this, this lifelong, eternal destruction of the sinner is a concept we see throughout, not just in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about this regularly, that a day is coming where sinners will be, gone, will, will be sent to a place where the worm never dies, where the fire is never quenched. So let's just ask the question, why? Why do we need hell? Why is hell even a thing or a place? Was this God just being angry and vengeful? No, this is God being God. Our God is holy. He is morally perfect. In Him is no trace of evil, no hint of it. And He is a God of justice. And because that's who he is, evil and wickedness must be dealt with. Laura and I and our two oldest kids, we didn't let all the kids watch this. For whatever reason, we got into the Murdoch murder trials in South Carolina. Anybody else? I mean, did you watch those? Kind of keep up with what's happening. It, it's essentially a man was on trial for killing his wife and his son. I know there are children in here. Uh, for killing his wife and his son. And yet if you look at his life and their life, there is a trail of bodies in their past. And yet because of their standing in their little South Carolina community, they were never seemingly questioned, never looked at, and it just kind of became this thing where everybody felt like these people killed them, but nobody would challenge them. Well, to let you know, uh, was it Wednesday, Thursday, one of those days? Thursday, I believe, he was found guilty of murdering his wife and his son. And if you followed it, you couldn't help but feel a sense of relief. Relief that wrongs had finally been made right. Relief that some type of justice had finally come. The reason for that is we want justice. Don't we? We want justice. Justice. We want evil and wickedness and sin to be punished. Justice is good. It's right. It's desirable. And in the same way that you and I would have a problem with a judge being willing to let wicked people, criminals, just walk as if nothing happened, we should have a problem with a God who would do just that. A God who would look at Hitler and say, that's ah, fine. He was having a bad few decades. You and I would say, no. We want justice. 
We want justice. We need wrongs made right. We need this. So if you're hearing this, this day of the Lord is coming, I hope something in you is saying, thank God. That's what we need. But even here and throughout the scriptures, God speaks about judgment. But don't think it's his being mean. It's not him being simply vengeful or spiteful. Whenever God speaks about a coming judgment, understand this. That is his mercy. It's his mercy. He's telling you what will happen. That justice is coming. And it's a warning for you and for me to flee from the wrath that is to come. You remember when Jesus was constantly battling with the Pharisees, the religious people of the day? And one of the things he says to them is this. Look, Pharisees, you pile law after law after law on top of people, but you don't lift a finger to help them carry the burden. Remember that? Think about what God is doing here. God's justice is coming because all of the world, you and me included, we have not obeyed His law. Have we? We have not loved Him. We've not trusted Him. We've lived in rebellion to Him and yet in His mercy. He doesn't just say, a day is coming. He doesn't just say, try harder, see if you can fix it. He doesn't just say, flee from the wrath to come. And it's not even that he simply lifts a finger to try to help you carry the burden. No, what he does is he takes his one and only son to carry the entirety of the burden that is upon us. To come down and save those who cannot save themselves. Look, the picture you're seeing on this day when the Son of Righteousness rises that there will be those who are unrighteous who will be destroyed. But for those who are righteous, the son of righteousness will actually heal them. That it will finish the work that has been started in them, the work that God has already begun. Remember what we said. Who was it that God said, those are my people? It's those who trust in Him. Those whose faith is in him. This is something we see throughout the Bible. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Habakkuk said, the righteous will live by... Ooh. Do we need to study Habakkuk next? (laughs) Faith. Just say faith. The righteous will live by... Faith. You've heard this before. Romans is rampant with this concept. You want to be righteous? It comes through faith, through believing, through trusting. Uh, Hebrews says this about Noah. He became an heir of righteousness through faith. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we read this. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the the righteousness, the child of God, the righteousness of God. Friends, a day of justice is coming. And on that day, the Son of Righteousness is going to rise up in every one of us. You will either be destroyed or you will be healed. 
that every one of us on that day when Christ returns, it will either be what we just sang when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It'll be the first of an eternity of glorious, incredible blessing. The kindness and goodness and grace of God showered on you forever or It will be a hell that the Bible doesn't even go out of its way to describe because human language can't fit it. 10,000 years of that, you haven't even started because it will never, ever end. It's coming. The day of justice is coming. And yet God just didn't lift the finger to help you. He said, I'm sending my son to save you. I'm sending Jesus to do what you did not do and could not do to obey the law. And he says to you that anyone who puts their faith in him forgets this ridiculous quest to try to make yourself righteous. You can't do it. But anyone who would believe on Jesus, put faith in him, they would be credited with the righteousness that they need. So that on the day that son of righteousness rises up, it doesn't destroy you. It saves you. How does it come? By grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that the God of justice not only sends a warning of destruction, He sends the way through it. That when you trust in Him, you are made righteous. You are made His. You become that treasured possession that He talks about. I love the the Heidelberg Catechism for this reason. And I find myself just getting stuck on the very first question. Listen to this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is this. This could be one of the most beautiful things ever written that did not find its way into the Bible. Listen to this. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. But I belong both body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, All things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, and He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Is that you? Is that you? Are you ready for the day that is coming because your trust is in Jesus Christ alone? If you want to talk about that after the service, come find me. If you want to talk to Jesus, go to Him. Call upon Him. He will save you when you trust in Him. The day of the Lord is coming. I don't know how many people we have in here right now, but the day of the Lord is coming for you. But understand this. The day of the Lord is not just coming for you. That you are not the only one who will see that day. Your family will see that day. Your friends will see that day. Your co-workers will see that day. Your golf partners, your fishing partners, your neighbors. 
They will see that day. And they need to know. They need to know that it's coming. And they need to know that God has made the way for them to be saved. Are you telling them? Do you love others enough to tell them that this is true? Did you, did you recognize on the video that each of those people were saying, yeah, I was talking to, and they were telling me about? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That as you are faithful to talk to others about Jesus, He is faithful to go before you and go with you and to bring salvation. It's been bearing fruit all around the world, just like it has from the beginning. And you, believer, are where you are for a reason. Your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason. Your friends are your friends for a reason. Tell them the truth. God ends this book with two commands. Remember and behold. Remember, look back. Don't forget the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded them. In other words, don't live as if the law doesn't matter. Don't live as if God hasn't told you how to live, what to value, how to love him first with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember the law and live life in light of it. But you may have experienced this, and this is a reason why when I quoted Habakkuk, you're like, uh. Or when I talk about Numbers 21, y'all didn't rejoice in applause. Yes, we're going to be in Numbers. Why? Some of you started this year reading your Bible, and you made it all the way to the law, and then life got hard. The law is hard to read. It's harder to do. It's harder to obey. And yet even now, we are to love the Lord with all that we are. Even now, we are not to take His name in vain. Not murdering is still a plus for the church. Don't do it. You shouldn't. And yet what you'll notice as you read the law, and this is by design, you won't keep it. You will fail. What the law is designed to do is to show you that you will not be able to be righteous on your own, that you need someone to come and save you. And so Malachi is saying, hey, remember the law. Live the way you're supposed to, but let it also point you to the Savior that at this point is to come. That He is coming to make you righteous. He is coming to fulfill the law that you haven't done. And then Malachi gives one more command. He points us back, and then he points us forward, and he says this, Behold, see, open up your eyes, look what is coming. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." And then Malachi is over. God's revelation to his Old Testament people ended just like that for four centuries. Nothing more. Yet Israel was to remember that they were God's people and to remember God's law. And they were to look ahead to this prophet Elijah that was coming. Who was the prophet Elijah that was coming? It was John the Baptist, wasn't it? Listen to these words from Luke chapter 1. 
an angel comes to Zechariah the priest and he says this about the son that is to be born to him. Your son will be filled with the spirit even from birth and he will go on before the Lord in the, in the, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children to make ready a people for the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist did. He grows up He's preaching a baptism of repentance. Repent, the kingdom is coming. Repent, the king is coming. Repent, he's here. And then when Jesus walks before him, John's ministry says, I need to become less. Stop following me, follow him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Trust in him. Believe on him. What John was was a signpost, a billboard pointing to a greater reality, a greater man who had come. Look, if you and I were driving down the road, I said, look at that billboard over there. You wouldn't say, man, that thing is rusty. That's a lot of stairs. How did they get that sign up there? You would say, well, what does it say? What's it telling us about? What's it pointing us to? That's what John was. He was a billboard pointing us to the Savior that was coming. We, we, can, we, can, we can enjoy the bugs and the honey, the camel's hair, the leather belt, but understand what John's purpose was. It was never to turn the attention to him, but to always put it on him. And so God is telling these people through Malachi, when you see that one, when you see that Elijah, that prophet, you are to listen to his message and look to the one to whom he points. You're to remember the law and see how far short you fall. And then you are to look and see where John's finger is pointing and follow that one. Look to that one. When all is said and done, this is the message of Malachi. We need a savior and God has graciously provided. When I read it, I'm reminded of this great quote by Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. Brothers and sisters, we have a great need for Christ. And we have a great Christ for our need. God is so good. 